Well, tonight we're taking a break from our Connected series to talk about Christmas, and I thought it would be just a great night, um, great time of year to remember the gospel, to remember what Jesus has done for us, to remember what is of first importance as Christians, as families, as friends together. We've been in the Connected series for a while, and we've been talking about As we evaluate technology and our online habits, we've been talking a lot about worldliness and godliness and just the effect that has on our souls. And so I thought it'd be good to kind of take a a step back from just thinking about all the, the world and what we're receiving in media and technology and just to kind of breathe some gospel air tonight to remember at Christmas time who we are in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. And uh, one of my favorite texts, just talking about, not really a Christmas text, but it is to me, is 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6, kind of the first half of 6. So this is 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 5. And it says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And we're going to look at this text, if you're taking notes tonight, if you'd like to write down notes, through three simple points that comes straight from our text, just to remember the gospel story and what Christ has done for us on the first Christmas by becoming a man. So point number one is that Jesus is the only mediator. It says it real clear. There is one mediator in our text. There is one mediator between God and men. The, the root word for mediator comes from the word middle. So to be a mediator is to be a middleman. One who stands between two parties who are at odds with each other with the goal of reconciling them. We probably do this or uh, see this more than we realize. As parents, um, we're often mediating between our children as they're wanting something or disagreeing about something at Christmas with extended families, there's often a need for a middleman. Uh, if you're, uh, how many of you you're here tonight are middle? You're a middle child. You have older siblings, younger siblings, so you often find yourself in the middle, kind of going between the older ones and the younger ones, and kind of reconciling at times. And you're in between the two of them. Uh, this is what a mediator does. It's in between two parties. Throughout the Bible, God has continually interacted with his people through mediators. So in the Old Testament, you have the office of prophet, priest, and king, where each of these roles was mediating, going between God and man. So God's always used mediators. He's used these different offices of mediators. Some were more Godward focused, and some were more manward focused. So a prophet mediated God's word from God to men. A king mediated God's rule from God to his people. And a good king 
ruled by God's word and commands, and a bad king it was a bad mediator. He didn't do what God told them to do. A priest mediated for the people. So he would approach God and he would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people and their sins. So we see in all these different offices, God has these mediators between him and his people. The thing about all these Old Testament offices is they're temporary. Prophets had a time of ministry and then they would die and another prophet would come along. There's whole books of the Old Testament dedicated to king after king after king. You can read through Chronicles and First and Second Kings and it would say this king came along and he was a good king and he found God's word and he uh, enacted God's word and God blessed him and he reigned for 40 years and then he died and then his son took his place and he was a bad king and he didn't do what God said. And you can just read over and over. Good king, bad king, good king, bad king. The great, the great high priest kept dying. And another one would be raised up and the sacrifices would continue. And it was all temporary. So read the Old Testament. It kind of builds this anticipation for us of, man, these prophets keep coming and going and these priests keep coming and going and these kings keep coming and going. They're all fulfilled by different people. But now we see them all coming together in one person, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. And there is one mediator between God and men. He is the fulfillment of all these offices. Jesus is the one mediator. He is the prophet of all prophets, the very Word of God itself. He is the priest who sacrificed Himself for sins once and for all. He is the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He is the one mediator between God and man. That is what we're celebrating at Christmas. God had said, there's all these offices, all these men keep coming, and I'm going to come myself in the form of a man, and I'm going to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. I'm going to represent and mediate between God and men in one person, Jesus Christ. And we live in a culture that doesn't like being told there is only one way. In a pluralistic time, we want an infinite number of ways to God. doesn't matter how you get there. And I thought about this. We've kind of created a God who is, if you think about our culture and what people think about God, that He likes everybody and He's good and He kind of gives you good things if you're good and bad things if you're bad. Does that sound like anybody this time of year? It sounds a lot like Santa Claus. We've kind of made God in our culture into be sort of a Santa Claus. And then I realized, you know, Santa Claus is, I hate to, like, I hope everyone here understands this, like, the version of Santa Claus we have is not real, okay? Like, I don't want anyone to start crying. I knew that was going to happen. Matthew, you had to hear it from your friends, okay? Like, when you open those presents under the tree, Heather got those for you, so I hate to tell you that. But we have, what's interesting is we have all these different, uh, we have Santa Claus that kind of is an American Santa Claus, you know? And uh, around the world, did you guys know they have all kinds of different Santa Clauses and different Christmas traditions? So I have some pictures of some of them. Uh, we have, in Iceland, we have the Yule Lads, which have you ever, have you ever guys seen the Yule Lads? I think, I think out of all the different Christmas traditions, Iceland has it right, okay? So the Yule Lads are a group of 13 mischievous creatures. It sounds awesome already. Each of the 13 is known for playing a different, often quite weird trick on you as they come into your house, like stealing meat. One of them likes to steal your meat. 
um, spying in windows. That's not creepy at all. Or harassing your sheep. That's the worst. Uh, The Yule Lads aren't just about strange pranks. They also give gifts to children. Accompanied by a Yuletide cat, which is described as a hungry beast that is known to eat bad children. They place small gifts in the shoes of well-behaved kids. Naughty kids, meanwhile, are given potatoes and might be eaten by a cat. And i got to show you my favorite Yule lad. Uh, I think it's the next picture here. Biorsalikar, uh, which means spoon licker. He likes to steal wooden spoons to lick them. So there's nothing worse than someone coming in and licking your spoons, you know. <laughs> it's extremely thin due to mal- malnutrition. Yeah, that's what happens when you lick spoons, so... Uh, in Germany and Austria, they have Belsnickel, who is a sidekick to Santa. This is very concerning, this picture right here. Yes. Listen, Belsnickel's main role is the disciplinarian of Santa's entourage. So he's usually de- depicted as a mountain man with fur covering his body. Uh, unlike Santa, who is beloved by children, Belsnickel is generally a char- is generally a character to be feared and usually used to coerce kids into being good. You don't want to receive a visit from Belsnickel, especially if he's going to tie you to a tree with a rope. Uh, this is from an old kid's book about Belsnickel. And what I really love about this is he's really good at tying the kid because he's tied his hands where he can't like try to guard himself from the whippings he's about to get by Belsnickel. So I don't think uh, our culture is going to like Belsnickel very much today, so that's not, that's not good. Uh, similar to Belsnickel, mu- but much scarier, of course you've heard of this one, Krampus. Yes, this is in Alpine countries. Um, yes, yeah, Santa Claus is roughly the same jolly old gift giver with one key difference. Uh, he's accompanied by a terrifying bloodthirsty monster called the Krampus. With the name that derives from the German word for claw, Krampus serves as the resident... A heavy of Santa's gang dishing out beatings and other mid- uh, medieval-style punishments to naughty kids. And then finally in Italy, they have La Bafana, a witch-like character. Uh, so you thought Santa was weird on a sleigh. She comes on her broom carrying gifts to children. She's an old hag who rides a broomstick, wears a black shawl, and carries a bag of gifts. Um, she is also known to whack any child who spies on her with her broomstick. Uh, the nice thing is, La Bafana also sweeps your floors before she leaves your house. So that's kind of a little bonus for Christmas, you know. Uh, I read that, and I thought, what's interesting about all the different characters we've created around Christmas in all these different countries is it's all motivated to try to get kids to be good and to stop kids from being bad, whether that's uh, getting a lump of coal or a medieval-style beating from Krampus, or tying you to a tree and whipping you, you know, like, that would motivate me to be good. Uh, But the thing about our culture is the goal is that, really, they they, they view God as kind of this gift giver who gives to good and punishes the bad. And so their whole goal is, well, you just want to be good enough, you know, like, I'm a good person, I do good things, Uh, I'm okay with God. Because, you know, God, God is a God of love. They'll quote that verse to you. And God accepts anyone who's sincere and really wants to know Him. And I always ask people, how do you define sincere? Like, what is sincere to you? Uh, because you're not being sincere in trying to follow God. There's not many ways to God. 
Uh, There's not many mediators. There's just one mediator. God has made one way. And it's through Jesus Christ. And whether you're good or bad or sinful or you do good things at times, all of us need that one mediator to go between God and us. And that's only Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man. There's only one way to God. There's not many ways. It's not based on how sincere you are. There's one way to God. And it's through Jesus Christ. Point number two. Jesus is the only one qualified. He's the only one qualified to be the mediator between God and us. A mediator must be able to represent both sides equally. So if you are a a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney, you're not a mediator. You're trying the case for this one person. A mediator has to be able to represent both parties equally. They kind of have to step back and say, I can represent this side and see their side. I can represent this side. So for to be a mediator between God and man, he must be able, this mediator must be able to go to God and must be able to be like us and understand us. This is what Job is crying out for in Job chapter 9 when he says there's no mediator between us who might lay his hand on us both. Job's crying out, I wish there was one who could could help me. It could go between God and me and help me understand what's happening to me. We need a bridge that goes far enough in each direction to bridge the gulf that exists between a holy God and a sinful people. And so when when we read about and talk about and sing about Jesus being born in Bethlehem that first Christmas morning, we're talking about God Himself, the eternal God, taking on human flesh. Born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. He was fully God and fully man. He wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was fully God and fully man. And He's a mediator who can represent both of us. He can be fully God and He can be fully man. And His birth, what we're singing about, these songs and Advent and Christmas, what it's all about is this is a history-defining moment we're celebrating. I mean, this, this only happened one time in all of history. It will never happen again. Uh, it is this magnificent, glorious moment, that first Christmas when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem. And many of you have probably not heard of the talk show host Larry King. Uh, He was around a long time ago, but he had this famous moment when he was being interviewed. He did interviews of all these huge celebrities and musicians and could really get anybody on his show. And they asked him, Larry King, you've interviewed presidents and celebrities and people all over the world. You interviewed the Pope. And they said, if you could interview anyone from all of history, who would you interview? And Larry King said, I would interview Jesus Christ. And they asked him what you would ask Jesus. Like, if you could just ask Jesus one question, what would it be? Larry King said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. And I think he got that right. Like, if he is born of the virgin, that should define history for us. It should define everything for us. And he was. God in His wisdom sent Jesus through a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, fully God, fully man, so that He could mediate between us. And He's the only way. He's the only one. He is our only hope. 
He was fully God. He claimed to be one with the Father. He said to see Him was to see God. Colossians 1.15 tells us that He is the image of the invisible God. You want to see God, look at Jesus Christ. And He was also fully man. He grew and learned and got hungry and tired. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that He was who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So He experienced as a man, as a human, all of our temptations, all of our struggles, even more so than us because we give in to temptation. He never gave in. He never sinned against God. He was fully God and fully man. Temptation is something that I'm familiar with, particularly around Christmas. And I think I've told some of you this before, but I had the horrible temptation to sneak and look at my gifts early. Has anyone else done that? Don't give me that look, Sam. I, you, you're raising your hand. You are nodding. Now you're like, yeah, I've done that. You know the temptation. This was... This was, not just a, um, this was not just a temptation for me. I would call it an art form and how I snuck into my gifts. So for many years, we, would, we knew where my mom hid the gifts. And so we would get into the gifts. And my mom worked a full-time job. She was a nurse. Uh, my stepdad was a dentist at the time. And so they were gone all day. So as soon as school got out, we went like, you know, we kind of eat our cereal, say goodbye to mom, and as soon as the car pulled out, we went right to the closet, top shelf, started pulling out our gifts, and we started playing with them for weeks before Christmas. I mean, by the time Christmas came around, we were like, oh, great, like, I'm already over that toy. I've played with it so much. Um, my mom started figuring out that we were playing with stuff because as we were opening things on Christmas Day, we weren't surprised by anything, <laughs> and we're, I guess we're not very good actors, and so we're like, wow, thanks. And it's like, what's going on with you, you know? And so she figured out that we were uh, finding all the gifts before Christmas. So she had the great idea, which is a really good idea, is she would buy the gifts and wrap them before she brought them into the house. And she thought, you know, I've got you. The present's already wrapped. And we said, no, you haven't even begun this process of hiding from us. And what we did is we got X-Acto knives and we cut the tape right along the seam we unwrapped our presents and we played with them for weeks before Christmas. And before my mom would get home, we would put them back in the wrapping paper and fold them back down and place them back under the tree. This sounds so bad as I'm telling this story, but this is what we did. And this is what happened. So we did this for weeks. And then I remember that year because uh, my mom was like, oh, I got you guys. I got you so good. And then Christmas Day, they had bought me this baseball game for Nintendo called Baseball Simulator 2000. Uh, it was like one of the first games that kept statistics, and you could like create a team and put names in there, and you could play a season, and, and so you could play all this stuff, and so my stepdad was being so nice. He didn't like video games, and like they got me this video game, and I had gotten better at my acting skills, so I was like, Baseball Simulator 2000, you know, and like winking at my brother, like, is that better than last year? And so my stepdad was like, hey, I want to play Baseball Simulator with you. I want to see this new game you're so excited about. And I was like, yeah, let's play. I wasn't thinking what had already happened. So I pop in the game into Nintendo, and it's like, welcome back, Michael. And my stepdad's like, that's weird. You know, like, he hadn't really caught on yet what's happening. And then while this is happening, sweat starts, like, dripping down my forehead. And we open the game, and I'm, like, halfway through a season. Uh, I'm, like, the fourth hitter in the lineup. My brother's got a name in there, like, 
Jeff Pluniak, you're batting third. And my, my stepdad was like, oh, you little liars. <laughs> you guys are so bad. Uh, so the third year, my, my parents took it to the next level. They like wrapped the presents inside wrapping with duct tape. And they actually used metal wire around the presents from multiple directions. Like used a soldering iron and like sealed it. And they, we didn't open them that year. That was the first year they really got us, you know. So... I say that because all of you have done something like that. I promise you've done something. I see some of your faces. We've all at times given into temptation. And that's kind of a humorous illustration, right? There weren't like major repercussions besides totally breaking trust between me and my mom and my dad. Other than that, there wasn't really any ramifications of opening presents early. So it's kind of a funny illustration. But truly, when we give into temptation and sin against God, uh, it's not funny to God at all. It's very serious, and it breaks fellowship between us and our God. There, there's a, a wall of hostility, the Bible calls it, between us and God. Where really, when Jesus came to be the mediator, it wasn't like we had something to offer God and we were kind of negotiating. It was a wall had been built between us and God and we had offended a holy God with our sin. We had given into temptation. We've all done that. We've all uh, given into anger or given into lust or given into greed or given into envy, comparing ourselves to others. We're tempted and then we give in and we complain. We don't trust God's sovereignty. We don't trust God's hand. We don't like the cards God has dealt for us in life or the situation we have. Or it could be even for you not getting the Christmas present you want, or man, I really want this, and I'm getting something else, and we're tempted to complain about that instead of being grateful. We've all sinned against God, and we need somebody who can come and break down that wall of hostility between us. We need a mediator between us and God. We need someone to come between us because we can't come to God on our own. We can't just say, God, here I am, you know, like, uh, will you forgive me? God would say, well, why should I forgive you? All sins must be punished. I have to punish your sins. So we need somebody to represent us, to mediate between us and God. This is what John Stott says about Jesus. He says, For He is both God and man, and therefore able to mediate between us. He is God from the beginning, deriving His divine being from His Father eternally. And He became human in the womb of His mother Mary deriving his human being from her in time. Thus the New Testament bears witness to him as the unique God-man. There is no parallel anywhere else from the incarnation of God in Jesus, which took place once and for all and forever. Muslims do not have any parallel to Jesus being the mediator. Buddhists do not have any parallel to Jesus being the mediator. There is nowhere else on earth any religion, anywhere that has anything that compares to knowing Jesus Christ as the one mediator between God and man. He is the answer. Point number three from our text. So there's one mediator. Jesus is the only one qualified. And number three, Jesus was born to die. Think about this every Christmas. Jesus was born to die. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Matthew tells us they would name him Jesus because he will save his 
people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means God saves. His name shall be God saves because He will save His people from their sins. His purpose from the beginning, from the moment that He was born, was to ransom us from sin. He came to deliver us from this enemy that has captured us and enslaved us and it comes from our own hearts and it's wicked and evil and it's offensive to a holy God. And He came to deal with it and to ransom us and to save us from our sins. Jesus said this was His mission in Mark 10.45, which we're going to come to uh, on Sunday morning in a few months. He came to give His life as a ransom for many. We needed to be ransomed. We were in bondage, held captive by sin, unable to free ourselves, rightly deserving God's judgment. But Christ came to pay the price that we owed to God for our sins and to buy us back, to purchase us, to free us from the slavery of sin. And the price He had to pay was His very own blood shed for us on the cross. And this plan was God's plan from the beginning. This is why He was born of the Virgin. This is why He was born in Bethlehem. This is why He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is why He never would sin so that He could come before God and have a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And all of this was motivated by God's love for us. It was conceived in God's mind from eternity past and it was set in motion as Christ was born in Bethlehem. As soon as that happened, His plan was off and running. That one moment changed the course of human history. It's what we sing about. It's what we worship. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. I want you to be so joyful Christmas Day. Not because of presents you get or even the food you get to eat or the games you get to play, but just joyful because God is faithful to His promises and He was born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary. Sometimes we don't understand the significance of a moment until we look back. I thought about this, about all the things going on around the world and how it's often just things behind the scenes going on that are changing the course of history. So you can take the year 1809, for example, where the, the, the international scene was tumultuous. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. Big news was war in 1809. Nobody then cared about babies, but the world was overlooking some significant births. For example, William Gladstone was born in 1809, one of England's finest statesmen. That same year, Alfred Tennyson, Oliver Wendell Holmes, and Edgar Allan Poe were all born. It was also the same year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles. Charles Darwin was born in 1809. It's had a huge effect on history. And on the exact same day, a baby was born in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. The baby's name? Abraham Lincoln. That's right. If there had been news broadcasts at the time, I'm certain the news would have all been about war. It would have been about Napoleon. But really, history was being changed in these little cradles throughout these little towns. The destiny of the world was being shaped. And what's amazing about this, this baby born in Bethlehem is I'm sure the news at the time was taxation. The news at the time was the Roman Empire and the Caesar and all these things going on and these wars 
around the world. And there was this baby born in this little tiny town of Bethlehem. And there are these angels singing to shepherds. And there are these men, these kings from the east that are traveling. That they're the ones discerning. It's just a few people discerning what's going on. Is this little baby being born in this little stall in this little tiny town of Bethlehem, the city of David? This is changing the whole course of the world. Is being transformed right now. Simeon figured it out. You know, he saw him and he knew this is the fulfillment. This is the Messiah. But everybody else was missing the news. And I don't want you to miss it. That this is what Christmas is all about. Change the course of history. The moment Christ was born, God's plan was set in motion that would lead to his death. The one led to the other. He was born to die to mediate between God and man. And so listen with fresh ears to the words of this song we sang tonight. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I love that thought. It's my favorite Christmas song I love it every year. I tell Zach, sing it every single week. I don't care if people get tired of it. How can you get tired of that? God and sinners reconciled. That's what Jesus came to do. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who came as a ransom for all. And tonight, every single one of us need to be reconciled to our God. We've offended God with our sin We are in our sin, enemies of God. There is a wall of hostility between us and God. And one day, this life is so temporary. Just uh, this Monday, I did a funeral. I was just standing there thinking about it. Man, like life is so short. And then comes the judgment. We have one life to live. Uh, It it just goes by so fast. I know it doesn't feel like it right now, but, but life is just this little dot. Eternity goes on forever. And, and if we're not reconciled to our God, when we stand before Him, we're going to give an account for our sins. We're going to be enemies of God and He's going to punish us for all eternity for our sin. And it doesn't have to be that way because Christ was born in Bethlehem. All of the promises came true. Everything the prophets said about Jesus, every single one of them, written hundreds of years in advance, came to fruition in Jesus Christ. God said, I've got an answer for you. God and sinners reconciled through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. And you need that tonight. I need that tonight. I need to be reconciled to my God. And the way to be reconciled is to turn from our sins, to admit we're sinful and wicked and evil and we've done things against God, to say, I believe. I believe He was born of a virgin. I believe He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe He died on the cross for my sins. I believe He rose again on the third day. I believe Jesus is the Savior. And I'm going to turn, repent of my sins, put my faith in Him. And then you're going to experience being reconciled to your God and there's nothing like it. Forgiveness of sins, filled with the Holy Spirit, born again, giving a new heart. Life-defining moment. Jesus, uh, history-defining moment when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And tonight can be a life-defining moment for you, placing your trust in Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas, it's what we're celebrating, it's what we're singing about. And I want to pray for you, that you would be reconciled to your God and experience all the joy of knowing what it's like to have Jesus as your one mediator. So let's pray.
And then we're going to return to singing. Well, Jesus, we come tonight and we worship You and praise Your name. And we celebrate. We celebrate Your birth. We celebrate that all the things the prophets said came true when You were born in that stable in Bethlehem on that first Christmas day. And we worship You tonight. We sing Your praises. We thank You that You lived a righteous life. That You never gave in to temptation. You never lied or deceived. Uh, You never gave in to anger or greed or envy. Uh, You never took God's name in vain. You never dishonored or disobeyed your parents. You always obeyed perfectly. And you died a sinner's death on the cross in our place so that our sins could be forgiven and you rose again for our justification. So tonight, Jesus, it's all about you and we worship you, we sing your praises and I pray for everyone here tonight that they would experience being reconciled to their God through their Savior, Jesus Christ. So if anyone in this room tonight has not turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come tonight that you would convict them and I would be so filled with joy if they were born again and if the first song they sang as a new Christian was Hark the Herald Angels Sing, God and sinners reconciled. So come Holy Spirit, do that work in us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.